Skills and Godly Marriage, The Husband, Part 2. Next week will be The Wife, Part 3. The week after will be The Wife, Part 4. No, I mean, um, we'll, we'll see where we go at that point. Um, why the husband first? If you look at the Pauline epistles, Ephesians, Colossians, and in First Peter, they all deal with the wife first. And what you'll see there is uh, they're normally dealing, for example, in Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, Paul is dealing with the one that is in submission in the relationship before the one that is head over in the relationship. So he deals with the woman first, then the man. He deals with children first, then the parents or the dad. He deals with the employee or the slave first, then the master. Uh, because the reality is, is the one that is in submission, if they will walk in submission, can actually have more influence over the one that's in charge because it will be influence. It will not be mandated. That's the idea. But we are going to deal with things from an Edenic order where we're going to deal with the man first. In uh, Genesis 2, 16 and 17, God is uh, talking here. Uh, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Uh, notice what Eve says in chapter 3, verse 3. But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor touch, uh, shall you touch it, lest you die. What did God say? Don't eat. He didn't say don't touch. Where did Eve get the idea that she wasn't to touch? I'm assuming that it was Adam. Adam is given the command. Adam's communicating to the woman. He says, you know, best thing, don't even touch it. God says, if we eat of it, we're going to surely die. Now, he may have said, God said, don't eat or touch or you're going to die. I don't know, but I'm assuming she got her information from Adam because back in chapter 2, she hasn't been created yet. So God's telling man. Now notice in uh, chapter 3, verse 9 and following, and I, I think I only have 9 here. Then the Lord God said to Adam, called to Adam and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you shall not eat? So God dealt with the man first, and therefore we're going to follow that order. Letter B, characteristics of a godly husband. I remember years ago, uh, my son was dating someone, and, and uh, he was expressing some of his struggles. Uh, as a young man, there are struggles that young men go through. And the basic uh, thought of the person that he was explaining it to was godly young men don't struggle with that. Can, can we say that young men struggle with that? Yes. Period. <laughs> okay. And, and the reason why I bring that up is because when we talk about characteristics of a godly man, there is no such thing as a godly man or ungodly man or woman dealing with a dominant trait. In, in other words, when you have a dominant trait going on in your life and that's how you're operating, well, then you're probably not dominant. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's male or female. If uh, 
being a tyrant is how I get things accomplished. I'm not being godly. I may see a lot of things accomplished, but I'm not being godly. And that, that could go for a man or a woman, okay? I, I know some strong personality women, and a lot of people say they struggle with strong... I don't struggle with a strong personality woman when she operates according to the plan that God has for her. Uh, she's going to be in submission to her husband. Now, she may be the go-getter, the one that does it all, but I know a lady over at Brentwood that uh, everything, she was the personable one. She was a go-getter. Her husband was very, very quiet, and she checked with him on almost everything. But she was a strong personality. She, she got up and went. Me and her never had any conflict. Um, but I know other... Uh, quote-unquote, godly women, strong personality that we would butt heads all the time. Why? Well, when you're running on your dominance instead of in the Spirit, you're not going to be godly. Uh, letter A, the godly man displays the qualities of a wise man. Letter B, the godly man displays intimate enjoyment of his wife. And let her see the godly man displays appreciation of his good wife. Those, that's how we're going to define the godly man here, okay? He displays the qualities of the wise man. He enjoys intimate enjoyment of his wife. And he displays appreciation for his wife. So the qualities of a wise man. Number two, the qualities of a wise man make for a good husband. Uh, when you're looking at Proverbs, it seems to say more about a bad wife than a bad husband. Have you ever read through Proverbs and seen from about chapter 24 or so, all of a sudden God just starts pounding on the uh, con contemptuous woman? Uh, contentious woman. Yeah, it's better to live on the corner of a rooftop like a dripping faucet. And I'm sitting there going, Lord, why are you picking on these women? Especially when I know how men can be. And then I kind of figured it out, and we'll talk about it next week when we get to 1 Peter chapter 3. <laughs> uh, but it, as you're reading through Proverbs, how many times does it talk about a bad husband? Well, it actually does. Follow along with me here. Uh, notice there is no male version of Proverbs 31. Uh, one of the things that uh, has been a complaint in the past as you get to Mother's Day and the normal sermon is out of Proverbs 31. And women sit there and say, why do you got to do that? It just makes me feel bad because I'm not measuring up. And it's kind of like, pastor does not like speaking uh, on Mother's Day from Proverbs 31. And he's basically kind of skipped over it. He, he congratulated the women for being mothers and then moved on with his normal sermon. And I think some women have appreciated that. But there is no male version of it if you think about it in the book of Proverbs. Notice number two, Solomon, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, like the apostles in the New Testament, is not sexist. Now, in this day and age, I'll be honest with you, you really got to understand the concepts here, okay? And, and the reason is, is, well, women are equal to men. Women can do anything that men can do. Da-da-da-da-da-da, all this stuff. There are two views, and I, I think I brought them up last week, the egalitarian view where women are equal and therefore 
there's no headship of man, and then the compatible or uh, comparable to, corresponding to view, where she, she does serve a purpose in this relationship, and it is not to be a, a doormat or anything like that, but she's really there to help the man, which of course means that a man needs help. Okay, and we'll get into that as we go along. Uh, but with the egalitarian view, um, everything that you see in the Bible is sexist. Like, no, it really isn't. If you understood the culture that is being written in, you see that in reality, God's Word gives women a whole lot more liberty than they would have had otherwise. Now, have men in religious positions including husbands over the years, kind of made the Bible look bad at times? Oh, sure enough, sure enough. And maybe that had something to do with so many women wanting to go towards feminism? Uh Uh-huh, I have no problem with that. But we always have to come back to the Word of God. What does it say? And the reality is, as Solomon, Paul, anyone who's writing about women in the Bible, they are not sexist. Notice, it is not affirming to men and hard on women. Okay? Uh, The Word of God is speaking truth. We don't read the Bible through the eyes of our culture. Uh, Again, with the egalitarian view, a lot of women today, they look at that verse, submit to your own husbands, and no way, Jose. And I remember when I worked at Sears over in Kansas City, I was talking to one of the managers of the shoe department, and she was a no way, Jose type person. And I go, what if the man was, and I went through what Ephesians 5 says about a man loving his wife like Christ loved the church, gave himself for her, washed her in the water of the word, nurtured her like he cared for his own body and things like that. And the, one, and the woman said, if a man was like that, I wouldn't have a problem submitting to him. Hmm. So it's not so much the submission, it's what you've experienced, culture, and you can't read the Bible through the eyes of your culture. Your culture is messed up. <laughs> okay? So that brings us to letter C. Three questions and answers. First question, who are the frequently encountered negative models in Proverbs? The answer, the fool, the sluggard, the thief, the liar, the mocker, the unjust, the drunkard, the brawler. In what gender are these people usually depicted? Virtually always the men. In what gender is wisdom depicted in the chapter, uh, in at length in chapters 1, 8, and 9. She's a woman. So again, when we come back to the Word of God, Solomon, Paul, any one of the writers that deal with the subject, they're not sexist. The Bible teaches truth. Can't read that truth through your cultural uh, sunglasses. So that brings us down to uh, rationale. Number one, the man is to lead, the wife is to help him. I know that doesn't fit in our culture, but again, we're looking at the Word of God. Number two, the things that make a man a failure in life will make him a failure in marriage. Think about that for a moment. The things that make a guy into a drunkard or a sluggard, what kind of husband is he going to be? Yeah. Okay? 
And then number three, the things that make a man wise and godly will make him a wise and godly husband. Interesting. So that brings us to number three, intimate enjoyment of his wife. Remember, the godly man displays the qualities of a wise man. That's what we just went through. Now we're dealing with a godly man displays intimate enjoyment of his uh, wife. And here's where we get into one of those subjects that... Okay, how do we approach this subject, be biblically true, and not offend anybody's sensibilities? Well, submit your sensibilities to the Word of God, and let's hit it. First of all, note the order. Marriage, then sex. Now, what do you mean, note the order? Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall uh, become one flesh. So, order, marriage, then sex, either both or neither. In other words, if there's going to be sex, there's got to be marriage. If there's not going to be marriage, there's not going to be sex. That's your biblical standard, end of subject. Unfortunately, in today's day and age, kids that have grown up in the church, and to my knowledge, none of them are here presently, just saying, (laughs) doing premarital counseling. I don't know how many young people, they've already been involved and now we're going to get married. And we're going to fight because of the insecurities that not doing it God's way brings about. Uh, fight to the point where you wonder if this marriage is even going to last. And in some cases, it hasn't. But that's what God says. Notice, number one, morally, one night stands or cohabitation. As far as God's concerned, they're the same sin. You live with the guy, you live with the girl, or you just went out for a night and hooked up, as they say today. Uh, They're both the same sin. Uh, Fornication is a moral crime against God. Now, uh, you get some wise guy that sits there and say, well, fornication means, and he gives you some middle-aged answer that really has absolutely nothing to do with what God said, okay? Uh, Forget all that, okay? What does God say? Uh, Sex outside of marriage? Sin. Doesn't matter what the circumstances are outside of marriage, it is sin. So that brings us to letter B. The Bible portrays married sex as a blessing and a gift from God. Would you like my keys, sir? I'll just pass them on down to you. There we go. Ho! Uh, I'm having trouble with my truck tonight. Pray that the thing doesn't fall apart. <laughs> Moving right along. The Bible portrays married sex as a blessing, a gift from God. Uh, yes, I did say the word, and I said it was good. Uh, why? Because the Bible says it's good. Number one, uh, notice in Ephesians, uh, Proverbs chapter 5, verses 15 and 19, um, one phrase there says, Enjoy water from your own cistern, and delight yourself in in her body. I'll leave it at that, okay? You can go back and read the passage. Uh, Seems to indicate God's saying, go for it. And and then, of course, in verse 19, it uses the verb shagah. It is uh, usually translated to err or to go astray, both in Proverbs 5.23 and Proverbs 20, verse 1. Uh, In this particular passage, it says uh, intoxicated. Uh, or to be wholly captivated by her so that one is no longer in his, pro- in his own power and co- can no longer restrain himself. Now, what does that sound like? 
I'm, I'm asking you to think about this for a minute. That sounds like, you know, he's going to be with her. Okay? Now, now, the reason why I say that is at least the picture that a lot of people within the church would like to give you about married uh, relations is controlled, gentle, loving, and all that kind of stuff. And, and it ought to be gentle and loving and all that kind of stuff. But the word that's used here seems to indicate this is a gotta-have type thing. It's not just a, okay, well, if I have to. Okay, that kind of a thing. So that brings us to number three. You might remember uh, several years back, I don't remember how long ago, I think it was actually Pope John Paul, he declared that men are not to lust after their wives. According to verse 19 here, Solomon does not seem to agree with that. In fact, if you were to go to Song of Solomon, it wouldn't seem to agree with that either. Okay, God designed sex to be as it is, not to be like a handshake. And again, for so many people, unfortunately, in the church, that's how we kind of have to talk about it. Like it's, no, it's so much more than a handshake, and it ought to be. Uh, one preacher put it this way. As Christians, you ought to put as much vim and vigor into marital relations as you do in prayer and Bible study. Think about that for a minute. God is the one that designed this whole thing. He said it was good. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Okay, yeah, I understand that means have a bunch of kids. But he wasn't saying, you know, you know maybe once or twice. He was, go for it. Okay, I, I, and why do I want to emphasize that so much? Am, am I some kind of perverted slob? No, when we come to biblical understanding of the subject, God says, uh, let me give you a, when, when God said, be fruitful and multiply in the book of Genesis, the Hebrew word is written in such a way, it has a prefix on it that indicates that God actually did something here. Now, I don't know about you, but be fruitful and multiply, what did God do? He turned on the switch, whereby now Adam's looking at Eve, and he's not just sitting there saying, kill, I got a wife. He's saying, whoa, that's the idea there. When, he, when he's told the animals to be fruitful and multiply, he turned on the switch that all of a sudden the male birds and the male fish are all looking at the women and going, dude, hey, did you see that cute one over there? That, that's the idea. God's the one that turned that thing on and he did it intentionally. So notice, letter C, protests about, this is about the husband's needs. Well, the passage is talking about the husband, but it is also a warning against adultery. It amazes me the amount of people that I have done marriage counseling with over the years that I've been back from Brazil, where the husband has been unfaithful. And when we get down to the brass tacks, sex was... Well, the marriage was a sexless marriage. Six months, a year, a couple of years at a time. And I, and I actually had to say to one woman, what did you think was going to happen? For her, because he committed adultery, 
you know, I really think I made a mistake by marrying him, and this is God's way of freeing me up to marry that guy over there. It's kind of like, what on earth? Yes, we are talking about husbands. Notice needs in the sense of this, if this relationship is really going to work, this is kind of one of those needs. Now, Dave uh, Tyler will tell you a need is something that if you go without, it'll cause harm or pain. I understand that concept uh, in the sense that when we're dealing with pornography or, 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 it's not a need in that sense. But in the marital relationship, it is a need, yes, for the man, but it also prevents against adultery. Number two, men could protest that they are singled out as adultery risks. If you want to get technical, that's what men could say about this passage. Well, you're just saying that we're, we're an adultery risk. Uh, in today's day and age, just if you haven't seen any statistics, women are committing adultery just as much as men. And yet women initiate divorces 80% of the time. Hmm. Saw one uh, social media post the other day. Woman said that she had been married for 10 years. She had a couple of kids. Her husband was a good husband. And she divorced him just because she wasn't happy. Because she has the right to be happy. Kind of like, wow, you ruin a family all because of the egalitarian view that it was really all about her happiness. She had that right. So men could protest about that. Uh, don't find too many men uh, doing that. Paul clarifies in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 to 5, that both are to take care of each other's needs. Uh, let me read 1 Corinthians 7, 1 to 5. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, so these are questions that they specifically asked. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. Again, you're not reading the Bible through the eyes of the culture. When we say affection, we're not talking about, oh, isn't he sweet? We're talking about the sexual relationship between husband and wife. Let the husband render to his wife that which is due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body. The husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So obviously the passage says that both of them are supposed to be caring for the needs of the other, uh, and that's the way it ought to be. So that brings us to number four, uh, which if you remember, the third thing here, the godly man displays appreciation for his good wife. So appreciation. Uh, this is based on the fear of the Lord, Proverbs 31, verses 29 and 30. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Okay, so uh, the praise is going to be based on the fear of the Lord. If she's a contentious woman, 
is she going to be praised? No, no, not at all. Uh, I've seen a couple of videos lately where the wife is up front, the husband's in the background, and uh, they ask the husband, uh, are you afraid of your wife? And the wife goes, tell him no, honey. <laughs> you know, that kind of a thing. Uh, yeah, uh, that might be a contentious woman. I, I'm pretty sure it's a joke, though. So it's based on the fear of the Lord. Let her be. Why she is a God sent to her husband. Proverbs 31, 11 and 12. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. So he will have no lack of gain. Uh, she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. So why she's a godsend? Well, number one, she wholeheartedly embraces God's plan for her. Now, what does that mean? Well, once again, if you consider what uh, uh, Genesis chapter 3 said last week, uh, it is not good for a man to be alone. I will make him a helper corresponding to him. He's already got the job. Now he needs someone that is going to help him accomplish the job and corresponding suitable to uh, filling in the gaps. Where he lacks, she has. Where she lacks, he has. That's God's plan. And a woman will that wholeheartedly embraces God's plan for her, she will uh, be a godsend to her husband. Number two, she is not numbered among the bitter women professing religiosity, seeking loopholes in God's revelation. Did you catch that? Once again, the egalitarian view uh, then throw in a little bit of Christianity, and we're looking for ways to get out of the traditional view of what the job of the woman is, because, well, I want to be a CEO, and I, I can be, and therefore should be, and, and he, maybe he should stay at home and, and do laundry. And maybe that's a possibility, but once again, what's all of the motivation? Uh, is she bitter? Uh, is she looking for loopholes? Or are they operating according to God's plan? Number three, God gives her uh, from her husband what she desires. Trust, verse 11. Praise, verses 29 and 30. Public acclaim, verse 31. V verse 31 says, Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Now, in Solomon's time, the gates were where the judges were, where uh, public business happened. And the idea here is uh, the works of her hands are going to be such that people are going to say, hey, did you see what Lynn did? That kind of a thing. She's going to have public acclaim because of how she lives. Uh, so uh, with that, she's not numbered among the uh, bitter women. She gives her... Uh, God gives her from her husband what she desires. And then number four, trust demonstrated by freedom to exercise her wisdom and abilities. If you're looking at uh, Proverbs 31, you'll see in verses 13 through 15, uh, she is about the business of supplying for the needs of her household. Notice she's the one that's doing that. Her husband isn't. He, he's doing business but he's not worrying about taking care of the household because she's doing it. Uh, not only that, verse 16, she's involved in real estate actions. 
She's buying a plot of land and then selling it for a profit. Uh, number, uh, the third uh, thing here, she's involved in charitable endeavors in verse 20. In verse 24, she seems to own her own business. In verse 31, she enjoys the fruit of her labor and she has public prominence in verse 31. Whole point being is because her husband trusts her, she's able to do all these things. If he didn't trust her, He'd be watching over every little thing and making sure that it was done the way he wants and all that kind of stuff. And that may say something about men who are like that. That may say something about the women that have men that are like that. Okay? So that brings us back to godly male leadership. Uh, What godly male leadership is not. Once again, when we get into the traditional, baptistic, Bible-type church. Some of these things over the years have been accepted practices, and they are not godly male leadership. Keeping her in the home. Her whole world has to be about the kids and her husband. She sits at home to do laundry, to prepare meals. Uh, She may be involved in homeschooling, uh, but it's all about home, family, that kind of thing. Uh, There's no real estate business. There's no uh, making clothes. There's no supplying for the needs by going out and doing commerce or anything like that. Uh, She has to stay at home. I remember years ago, um, let me see, was, were you, no, she was, she was pregnant with Jonathan. My wife was pregnant with Jonathan at the time. We had moved from Arkansas, Citadel Bible College, up to Kansas City, Calvary Bible College. And she was looking for a teaching job. Uh, She was working as a teacher. I was going to school part-time, working uh, part-time. I guess when I went to Calvary, I was going full-time. But uh, she applied for a teaching job. And she was pregnant with Jonathan. She was due after the school year was over. And uh, we already had Rachel, and this church was of the opinion that Lynn needed to be at home with her kids. Now, we didn't, agree, uh, didn't uh, disagree with that. In fact, Lynn got to stay home with kids most of our married life. Um, praise the Lord. But that wasn't, they wouldn't hire her for the school year. Um, because where's the woman's place? At home. And only at home. That kind of thing. Uh, that was the approach they took. Uh, godly male leadership is not her not having any interests of her own. Wow. Uh, her only job. Take care of her husband and kids. The idea of her wanting to go to a pottery class. Well, how are you going to use that for us? You know, that, that might be the uh, question that would come forth. Uh, th- that's not godly male leadership. Another one, her afraid to step out beyond her little rut. You know, when the kids grow up, what is she supposed to do? Well, now she has to stay at home all the time and take care of her husband. Yeah, but he's not there most of the day. What about, well, you know, I've not been able to do that for how many years and kind of a concerned that I can't do it now. It's not that her husband said she couldn't, but she feels like, mm, I, I, I can't do that. Kind of like, well, that might indicate that there was not male, godly male leadership. Uh, what is godly male leadership? In 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, Husbands, 
Likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Uh, a couple things about this uh, passage. First of all, notice working with one's life partner. Uh, husbands, dwell with them with understanding. Now, I have a book called uh, Discovering the Mind of a Woman, and uh, it's by Ken Nair. It's full of blank pages. No, that's not true. Uh, it's a joke that he makes in the thing. A lot of people think that, discovering the mind of a woman. Uh, the idea is, if God says, husbands, dwell with your wives in an understanding manner, what's the excuse that most men give? You can't understand a woman. Well, if God says it can be done, then it can be done, but it'll take time and study, a little bit of effort in this whole thing. And so if he is going to be a godly, uh, have godly male leadership, he is going to be working with, not against, his uh, life partner. It also is leading her to become all that God wants her to be. For quite a while, I've been trying to encourage my wife to be involved in no offense intended, older women teaching younger women, that kind of a thing. Um, over the years, we've experienced enough of how not to do it that she can help younger women uh, maybe do a better job um, as I can help younger men maybe not repeat some of my mistakes, that kind of a thing. And, and I've been trying to encourage her in that direction for a while. And um, she's finally come to that place where she's now working with a couple of young women and uh, doors are opening her for her to do a little bit more. Uh, why? Because she has a lot of wisdom that young women need, that they, they will only have by experience, and they don't want to get all that bad experience. They want to learn maybe without all of that kind of thing. And so trying to be an encouragement to her to take advantage of this. And like I say, she, she has done so, but that's part of uh, godly male leadership, uh, showing, uh, leading her to become all that God wants her to be. Now, in the past, I used to think, well, you can do this. They want me to do it right now. Kind of like, yeah, so what's the problem? You look at the passage, you tell them what it says. Lynn isn't like me. She needs time, get it all worked out in her head so that it comes out right. And I've had to learn to, okay, we're made different. That's okay. Okay? And then, of course, uh, a godly male leadership is showing confidence and trust in her. A lot of things that we used to uh, have discussions about in the past, we hardly ever talk about them anymore. Uh, because I've learned to trust her. She's learned to know that if it's one of those things where maybe we just need to talk about it, uh, I talk to her about anything that I'm thinking about. Most of our fights when we were a lot poorer uh, dealt with finances. And uh, so we've learned to communicate with each other and uh, show confidence in each other's uh, desires, uh, decisions, etc. So letter D. Men should be quick to praise. Now think about that for a moment. What would that seem to indicate? That that's probably not one of those natural things 
doesn't come natural to be quick to praise. The surest way to encourage good behavior in others is by praising, by letting them know what they've done right. That doesn't mean you're not confronting the things they've done wrong, but if, you, if you're gonna, hey, how about talking about something they got right as well as talking about uh, an area where they might improve? Uh, letter number two, most often wives feel crushed under the lack of appreciation from husbands and children. Uh, I don't know how many times I've seen uh, stuff on social media where the woman just cleaned the house, the kids just got home from school, the husband just got home from work, and 10 minutes, the house is absolutely destroyed. No one even noticed that it had been cleaned. Kind of like, I, I think after a while you might want to give up. Well, that's where men need to understand uh, a, a woman will do an awful lot and sometimes all they want is appreciation. Now, mind you, that goes the other way too, but we'll talk about that next week. <laughs> okay, sidebar, dynamic wives. There is no need to feel threatened by a wise, talented wife. In other words, if a woman is the kind of woman that God wants her to be, some men are going to feel intimidated by that, and there really is no reason to. Like I brought up that couple over at Brentwood. Uh, this woman was a wise, a wise, talented wife. She was a go-getter. She would get things done. Uh, she was never an issue. Even when she was trying to help me accomplish something in the church, she was never an issue uh, for me because it was always... Checking in with the boss, checking in with the boss. First, her husband, and when she was helping me at the church, uh, she'd always talk to me. Well, I think about this. Hey, I like that idea. Let's run with it. Uh, that kind of a thing. Uh, letter B, when you work as a team, you both benefit from the abilities and gifting of the partner. So often, Christian marriages, because they've been mostly about the man— and I'm not saying there shouldn't be a measure of truth in that whole thing, but it's all about the guy that uh, he's not appreciating what she brings to the table. And he needs what she brings to the table. So uh, when you work as a team, you both benefit from the abilities and gifting of the partner. So that brings us to letter C, characteristics of the ungodly husband. Now, you'll notice this is just about a full page here. We've already been through two pages dealing with the godly characteristics of a, a wise husband. Uh, now we're going to deal with some of the ungodly characteristics of a foolish husband. Number one, displays the quality of a fool. Again, if he's going to be godly, he's going to display wisdom. If he's ungodly, he is going to be foolish, most likely. So notice, first of all, he doesn't listen to godly counsel. Proverbs twelve fifteen, The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Proverbs fourteen fifteen, The simple believes every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. So uh, unwilling to listen and to be taught by others is uh, a sign of foolishness. It, he, um, number one there, doesn't mean that he has to agree with his wife. Uh, we have three examples there. Um, 
in uh, Genesis 3, 6b, after Eve had eaten from the fruit, what did she do? Gave it to her husband, who was right there, which makes you wonder about him. But okay, let's understand. But she gave. He ate. Uh, how about uh, 16, 2 Genesis? Abraham, his wife comes to him and says, let's help God out. Take my maidservant. And when she has a child, it'll be my child. Uh, we call that hagarizing things, helping God out. And then, of course, in Job chapter 2, verse 9, uh, what does Job's wife says, uh, say to him? After all this has happened, she's lost 10 children. Okay, give her a little bit of a break. But after all this happens, why don't you just curse God and die? Yeah, uh, a good thing that Job didn't take her advice, huh? So you don't have to agree with your wife, but you ought to be listening because you never know um, when what she says is exactly right. Uh, number two, if she doesn't bring something to the table, why did you marry her? Um, <laughs> we men have a tendency to think that we're right. And just because we are most of the time, I mean... <laughs> my, um, <laughs> yes, I'm bad, I know. Um, Lynn, Lynn will pick on me from time to time. She will say, I don't think like you do. If I did, you wouldn't need me. Kind of like, not a lot of arguing with that thinking. <laughs> so uh, the reality here is, again... Uh, if, she do, if she doesn't bring something to the table, why did you marry her? Because she did bring something to the table. Here's where the problem comes in for so many men. What did she bring to the table? Uh, sexual relation, cooking, taking care of the laundry and the kids. Kind of, no, there's so much more to a woman that's been created in the image of God than just that. Uh, mind you, I, I can appreciate all that, but there's so much more. And so therefore... She brings more. We ought to be looking for more. Uh, notice uh, letter B. She shares the image of God. Galatians, I mean, Genesis 5, 1 and 2. And she is a fellow heir of the grace of life. 1 Peter 3, 7. So uh, equal to you when it comes to marriage, to the possibility of rewards, etc. cetera. Uh, you've just been put in a position of headship because God said so, not because you were better than her or something like that. Number two, the qualities of a fool would be quarrelsome. Uh, in Proverbs 20 and verse 3, it says, It is honorable for a man to stop striving, since any fool can start a quarrel. So, uh, the fool will welcome a fight. We're not talking about a disagreement here, okay? Because there are going to be disagreements. But he welcomes a fight, and he enjoys domestic strife. Wow. He doesn't sound like a fun guy at all. Uh, I, and my dad, my dad before he uh, passed, when I was a, a child, um, my dad was a drinker and got drunk a lot. And when he was drunk, he would normally pick fights with family members. Uh, he may have been a, somewhat of a tyrant when it came to my mom. As far as I know, there was physical abuse at times. One time, he started a fight with a couple of her brothers. They picked him up and threw him through the window that was closed at the time, out onto the front lawn, at which point he 
got it back up on his knees and said, ha ha, you guys didn't hurt me. Uh, well, what do you expect from a drunk? Um, that's the idea here. He welcomes a fight. Um, and of course, we justify that very often by say that it's, we're just clearing the air. Notice, clearing the air is a harmful lie due to the damage that it causes. I remember when uh, Rachel was about 14 years old. We were down in Brazil, and I learned how to be a dad from a drunk stepfather and a drunk dad. And they were both yellers. And so my kids grew up with a yeller. And one day, Rachel's about 14 years of age, and she is crying. I'm reaming her out for something. And she just screamed out, stop yelling. She just, she was crushed by that. And I had no clue. I was just trying to get my kids to do the kinds of things they're supposed to do. You know, uh, yeah, I did a lot of harm in that relationship by clearing the air. Huh. Want to be careful there. Uh, another uh, quality of a fool is they are normally abusive. Uh, Proverbs 29.11, the fool vents all of his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. The illustration that I just gave you is another illustration of this kind of thing. Literally, his spirit, uh, all his spirit, a stupid man discharges. That's what vents his feelings means. It gives full vent to his temper, and he's not self-controlled. So that's what it is to be abusive. Number four, he refuses to learn from his mistakes. Proverbs paints a grim picture of a person that doesn't learn from their mistakes. Proverbs 4.19, the way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Proverbs 26.11, as a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Proverbs 27.22, Though you grind a fool in a mortar uh, with a pestle along with uh, crushed grain, yet his foolishness will not depart from him. Wow. Think of the gambler or the investor in fantasy uh, get-rich schemes. Uh, very often, how many families are ruined because a man will chase after riches whether it be through gambling or by, you know, all we need to do is invest in this. We're on the ground floor and we're going to be rolling in the dough. And the woman is going, I don't know, honey. That guy, when he was over here explaining this whole thing, he seemed a little off. What was wrong with him? I don't know. It just didn't seem right. And the guy doesn't listen and he loses everything. Um, wow. Wow. Uh, that's the idea here. Uh, another example would be a drug addict, an alcoholic that won't change. I uh, heard about some friends that her son is uh, a drug addict. He was down in Florida. He recently uh, returned to this area. And um, the first thing he did was he likes to go out to the garage and smoke uh, marijuana because uh, they don't want it done in the house. Uh, but the first thing he did was clean out all of their alcohol. It's kind of like, okay, we're helping you out, and you're going to basically steal all of our alcohol and drink. Um, and again, we're not talking about a, 
whether or not they're Christian. It's just this is what they had, and he cleaned them out. Um, the kids that are in the house are all kind of creeped out by the guy. And yeah, mom wants to help him. John, as a police officer, you've dealt with people with drug issues. How many of them want help? Very, very few. Most of them are so, so caught up in it that they will lie, cheat, steal from their own families uh, to continue on in their error and their sin. Okay, so they don't learn from their mistakes. Uh, letter B, making mistakes is normal, but we will learn from them, receive correction, choose wise paths instead of the same old ones. The person that is a fool will not. Number five, the qualities of a fool is he is destructive. He troubles his own family. Proverbs 11.29a, He who troubles his own house will inherit the wind. Ouch. Uh, examples, Dathan and Abiram, Numbers 16. Achan, Joshua 7. Eli, 1 Samuel chapter 2. Saul with Jonathan, uh, 1 Samuel 14. David with Absalom, 2 Samuel 13 and 14. Since some of these guys, obviously, you know, they, they had a screw loose or something like that. Let's deal with David, a, a man after God's own heart. Uh, he's got multiple wives and, of course, a lot of children because of that. And one of his sons, well, he, he gets a crush on one of his half-sisters. And so uh, one of his foolish friends tells him how to deal with the issue. And so he follows that guy's counsel. And sure enough, David listens. Come on, Dad. David listens and sends her in to cook some food for him. And then hopefully he'll feel better. Well, she comes in. She cooks food for him. He rapes her. And then after the deed is done... He was in love with her. And all of a sudden, he doesn't love her anymore. Hmm. Love, lust. Okay. Well, she leaves the room, tells her brother Absalom. And Absalom, okay, Dad, it's time to do something. Dad doesn't do anything. Well, there comes a point where Absalom does take care of business. And then, of course, Dad is upset, so he exiles him. Kind of like, Dad, if you had done what you should have done, maybe this wouldn't be an issue. Um, after a couple years, he comes back. Uh, he's allowed back in, but Dad still doesn't deal with him. And so in the meantime, he's making friends with all kinds of people, saying, look, if I was king, I'd deal with your problem. This guy ain't going to. Why wouldn't he? Because he didn't deal with my problem. And before you know it, Absalom is revolting against the king and taking things over. And ultimately, David loses Absalom. So in that particular case, uh, being foolish in the way he approached that thing, he ended up losing Absalom, uh, the daughter, in the sense that she had been raped, um, the other son that had raped her. And then, of course, later he loses a baby uh, that came about because of adultery. Uh, but uh, again, lost all four of them. 
So uh, destructive. Number six, he does not discipline his children. Uh, after we deal with the wise, we are going to deal with parenting a little bit. But uh, for the foolish man, he does not discipline his children. Uh, Proverbs thirteen twenty four: He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Now, the big argument is you don't have to spank a kid for everything. I totally agree. Spanking is meant for foolishness. Foolishness is when I know what I should have done and I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. At that point, timeouts will not change that kid's heart. Okay? And you can talk about violence, uh, breeding violence, and all that kind of stuff. When you do it right, it does not produce uh, that kind of a situation. Now, if you wait until the kid's already bent, so far bent towards foolishness, and then you try and correct it, I guarantee you there's going to be some problems. Uh, but again, that meant you didn't dis discipline him promptly, and therefore uh, you fall into this category. Letter A, man sets a pace through consistent training and deliberate discipline. Notice consistency. That, that's where I think so many parents will agree they fall down. Now, we're not talking about them being fools because they're inconsistent, but it is foolish, so therefore it is something to be worked on. Um, letter B, should be proactive, not reactive. I don't know how many times spanking the kids was done because uh, you're reacting to what they did, you're mad, and bing, bang, bong. Uh, that is not correct discipline and shouldn't be done that way. Letter C, today's gentle parenting is allowing the foolishness in a child's heart to remain. Um, gentle parenting. Just another name for Dr. Spock's don't say no. It, it is lazy. Uh, it is the kid actually determining which direction we're going and not the parent. Out of the two, who's supposed to be the wise one? Well, uh, take that as it will. Number seven, the flip side of a wise man's positive qualities. Uh, the foolish qualities are exactly the opposite of the uh, wise qualities. Again, go back to the first two pages. Letter B, the entire book of Proverbs is the masculine equivalent of Proverbs 31. When you start dealing with the concept of foolishness and wisdom, uh, the wisdom aspect is what we're looking for in men. And so therefore, the entire book of Proverbs is Proverbs 31 for men, if you will. Okay? So that brings us to another sidebar. Dealing with conflict with a believing spouse. As I read this, I sat there and said, wow, <laughs> wouldn't it be nice? Uh, wow. So let's, let's go through it. First of all, a husband should not fight with his believing wife. Well, someone's got to tell her she's wrong. Notice, because many Proverbs praise self-control, and they condemn giving into temper. Proverbs 14.29, He who is slow to wrath 
has great understanding. But he who is impulsive exalts folly. Proverbs 16, 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Proverbs 17, 27. He who has knowledge spares his words. A man of understanding is, a, is of a calm spirit. And Proverbs 20, verse 3. It is honorable for a man to stop striving since any fool can start a quarrel. I, I don't know about you, but I think when we're younger in our marriage, uh, somehow we have to prove that we're right. And the reality is, is we may be, but can it be handled in a godly way? And the, the whole point of this is it can be. Uh, number two, he is to care for her as Christ cares for the church. Uh, Ephesians uh, 5.23, For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Verses 25 through 27, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Notice, if we're going to be loving our wives like Christ loved the church, then it's not a matter of fighting to prove that I'm right. If I am right, it's helping her come to that conclusion through the Word of God and uh, through a gentle spirit. Oh, a little bit different than how most of us probably did it when we were younger. And then number three, she started it. Even if true, it doesn't excuse the husband from responding like Christ. I'm only going to, well, uh, we'll see. Matthew 5, 38 to 42. You have heard it said that an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, not to resist an evil person. In this case, the wife would be the evil person. <laughs> but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If, any, if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, give him your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. So if we're going to respond to our wives like Christ responded... <coughs> Excuse me. Even if she started it, it's not going to be a tit for tat type thing. It's going to be a uh, take what's necessary and try and show. Uh, letter B A wife should not fight with her believing husband because, see letter A above. Many proverbs praise self control and condemn giving into temper. Number two. She has been called to submit to him. And again, I gave you all the passages there. Don't need to read them for you. Number three, uh, C, letter C above. I should say number three above. Shame on me. She started it, even if true, it doesn't excuse the husband or the wife from responding like Christ taught. And then number four, seeing herself free to fight with her husband is not emulating Proverbs 31.11 and cannot expect the blessing of 31.12. Let me read those verses for you again. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. 
If she's willing to go against that, then she shouldn't expect, verse 11, the heart of her husband safely trusts her so he will have no lack of gain. So yeah, the sidebar on the end deals with both, but it does deal with both. As far as men, husbands go, what women ought to be looking for in men, it's really going to come down to, is he leaning more towards the wise side of things, or is he foolish? And uh, unfortunately, those of us that have been married for a few years, uh, we come to a conclusion that we kind of wonder, what on earth did my wife see in me? Uh, because we know how much we've messed up, and we're appreciative of the fact that God has given us grace so that we could grow and become that man. So if you're a younger man, understand you might do a few things wrong, but learn to listen to your wife and learn how to help her see things from the other perspective and always compare both to the Word of God. All right. I know it might seem like I picked on the women a little bit tonight, but I was really concentrating on the man. Next week we'll pick on the women a little bit, but I will probably say some things to men also. With that in mind, let's close in prayer and we'll let you go. Father, again, we thank you for your word, for Solomon's uh, understanding and the things that he gives us to look at. We do ask that as men, that you would give us grace to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and show forth the wisdom that he gives us, uh, not only in how we live our life day to day, but especially in how we treat our wife and our children. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.